Gracious Father, we thank you for this day in which we celebrate all that you have done in and through your church and the saints that make up her body. We pray now, Lord, that you would illuminate your scriptures as we seek to learn more about what it means to be called yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Good morning, everyone. Happy All Saints Day to you. It is a reminder that we are part of something far greater than ourselves. The last two millennia of people who have given their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ to serve him. And it's a day of great humility to be called one of God's saints. Now, when you think of a saint, you probably think of something like this. Yeah? That's old golden tongue, St. John Chrysostom from the 4th century. Or you think of St. Augustine, or you think of St. Francis, maybe he's your favorite because you like animals, or you think of St. Mary the Virgin or some other saint throughout the history of the church. And you think about their otherworldliness and their piety and their godliness, many of them having laid down their lives as martyrs from the Lord. And it might make you feel pretty lame about your own paltry spiritual life, when you measure yourself up by that standard. How many of you said have said in the past, well, I'm no saint, <laughs> but beloved, a saint is precisely what the Bible says you are. Because if you have confessed Jesus Christ as Savior for your sins and you have given your life over to him to follow him as Lord, then you are a saint because that's what the word of God calls you. So what I want to do today is look at what it means to be called a saint, to be a part of this great body over the history of the last 2,000 years of people who have participated in the work of redemption through Jesus Christ. Because you see, we are not just saints when we arrive at the destination, as some of the capital S saints are called, and of course we want to honor that, but we are also saints on the road. We're saints on the journey going to the destination. And that's so important for us to remember. Because to be a saint is to be someone who lives more and more deeply throughout all of life into the identity that God has given you in Christ Jesus. Now that is actually what Ephesians chapter 1 is all about. Ephesians chapter 1 is one of the most riveting, powerful chapters in the New Testament. If you have ever struggled with who am I to God, who am I in Jesus Christ, you need to read and meditate on Ephesians chapter 1. It will be glorious. It will encourage you. It will remind you of the heavenly realities in which you are blessed and called to participate. So we're going to hang out in Ephesians today because it's just so wonderful. And I want to talk about what it means to have an identity as a saint. Now, Paul starts off in our, our passage starts off in verse 11, but I'm going to, I'm going to move up a little bit. So you're just going to have to listen to me read from, from scripture because I want to give a little context. Now, Ephesus, um, was a place of great, uh, pagan religion. If you read the book of Acts, what you see happen in Ephesus is nothing short of revival. When Paul and some of the apostles go there, Ephesus was the center of the temple for Artemis, who was a pagan goddess. And Paul and the apostles went there and began to began to preach that Jesus Christ was the only path to God, that he was the Lord of the world and that there are no other gods but him. And so there was a great revival that broke out, mostly because Paul was being used 
powerfully by God to perform signs and wonders and miracles. And what happened was the people, it says all the people in that region of Asia heard the word of the gospel. So we're talking about a pretty big evangelism crusade. And it says that they gathered up, all the pagan peoples gathered up their books and their sorcery, their spells, all of the stuff, their objects that they used for for whatever kind of pagan worship they were involved in, and they had a massive bonfire. And if you do the math and what the Bible tells us, how much all that stuff was worth, it comes out to like $6 million or something worth of literature on witchcraft, sorcery, pagan idolatry. And they had a big bonfire because Jesus was being preached and they were realizing that they could know God in and through Jesus Christ. So that's the context. And Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. Now, he says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus. Okay, They're not already dead in heaven uh, being uh, beatified by the Catholic Church. They are saints right now in the here and now as they live their life. And he addresses them. And he says to them immediately. Now, remember, this was a lot. These were a lot of former pagans. And so Paul wanted them to know who God was and who they were in God, because their idea of God or gods was fickle, arbitrary, kind of mean spirited, you know, gods who lived in the clouds or in the sea or whatever that would strike them with lightning if they stepped out of line or they had to appease them for the sake of agriculture and rain and things like that. And so God wants to, or Paul wants to give them a picture of who the true God is so that they can also know who they are as his holy ones. And so Paul, now we will, we'll start now in the passage that you have as it is printed in your bulletin. He says, in Christ, we have obtained inheritance. Now, here's the thing about the language here. Um, scholars go back and forth because if you read this in the Greek, Greek doesn't have the same word order as English. It's actually all out of order and you just have to make sense of it. it I took it in seminary. It's tricky. But now it, the, the, the thing about this passage, it, it could be translated in Christ. We have an inheritance or it could be translated in Christ. God has us as his inheritance or that could be translated treasured possession. But I don't think it's either or. I think it's both and. Because in Christ, we both become God's treasured possession and we also inherit all that God has for us. Namely, himself and eternal life life in him. So Paul says, we have obtained an inheritance or God has obtained his treasured possession having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. The, the, the gods, the so-called gods of the pagan world, they, they, they were fickle, they were arbitrary, they were whimsical. Paul says the God of heaven and earth, he does all things according to the counsel of his will. He's direct, he has a purpose, he sets out to accomplish it, and it gets done. And part of that purpose is that he destined us to a purpose, that he destined those who are in Christ to a particular manner of life. Friends, so many people in our world are lost because they're looking for meaning and purpose apart from Jesus Christ. Now, you can get sort of temporary meaning and purpose out of things, being a champion of some social cause or being uh, somebody who advocates for the poor or, or, or the least of these. You can get a certain temporary meaning and purpose, but you cannot get meaning and ultimate meaning and ultimate purpose apart from Jesus Christ. Because every human being was created for relationship with God, and the only t- way that we can get into that eternal relationship is through Christ. Now, that leaves us with the question, how... Do we become these people who are set apart for a particular purpose? 
And the key is right here in this first line in the passage, in Christ. Everybody say, in Christ. In Christ. Paul uses the term in Christ or in him about 12 times just in chapter 1. So there's a particularly important point that he is making about the identity of saints. And that is that they are those who are in Christ. That is unified, united union with Jesus Christ. Mystical communion, as the song said that we just sang. Mystical communion with the Lord Jesus Christ, united in him. Now, the word saint, uh, it's where we all, it's where the word we get, where we get the word holy. In the New Testament, saints is more literally translated holy ones, hagioi, holy ones. That's why we call saints hagiography, the study of saints. Because saints means to be holy. Well, what does it mean to be holy? Holy means to be set apart by God for a particular purpose, for a destiny that he has for you, which is ultimately eternal communion with him. But it affects everything in and about your life. And so to become a saint is actually to come into alignment with your purpose and your destiny. Because you can't fully come into alignment with your purpose, your God-given created purpose and destiny apart from Jesus Christ. So to become a saint is to become someone who's aligning ourselves with the will of God for our lives. And to be holy is to be set apart to live differently. Remember when God chose Israel to be his chosen people until he was going to invite the rest of us Gentiles into his family? He said to them in Deuteronomy, he said, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. You, you are set apart. He says he has chosen you to be his people prized above all others on the face of the earth. They were taken out of all the world to, to, be, to live differently so that they would attract the rest of the world to the true God by their unique manner of life, their, their lives of holiness, okay? Now, holiness, to live a life of holiness is to simply reflect him. It's like being a mirror that reflects who he is because he's holy, he's set apart, he's unlike anything or anyone else. And so hence for the Jews were all of these weird laws because it made them unique and set apart as a particular kind of people to display the goodness and uniqueness of, of God, of the true God of heaven and earth. Now, how does one become a saint? Um, by st- trying to like watch your cussing and getting like the quarter jar so you cuss less or by, uh, by uh, trying to uh, ha- stop having sex outside of marriage or trying to like add good works to your list. Is that how somebody becomes a saint? Definitively, no. Should those be characteristics of saints? Yes. <laughs> yes, they must be. But nobody becomes a saint but by anything, but by being united to Jesus Christ. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. A little bit earlier in the passage, Paul says, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. You know what it means, it means to be redeemed? It means to be set free from slavery, namely to sin and death. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our offenses, right? That is what kept us separated from God's presence was our offenses against his holy nature, right? Some people say, well, I'm a good person. I think I'll be with God for all eternity. No, 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 no. There's, there's no such thing as a perfectly good person. You might have lots of good behavior, but you have done things to offend the holy nature of God. And so the only way that we're united to God is in Christ, whose blood redeems us and cleanses us, makes us pure, spotless, and holy in God's eyes. 
You see, we become saints by our union with Christ. That's what being a saint is all about. It's about being crazy about Jesus. It's about being in love with Jesus, about trusting in Jesus, going to Jesus when you need forgiveness, going to Jesus for power, for healing, for life and godliness. It's all about Jesus. Now, so many people in our world are searching for meaning and purpose and they're not finding it because they're not looking for it in Jesus. Now, why is there so much unhappiness and depression and anxiety and suicide rates are increasing in the world? It's because people are lost and they're, they're, what they're looking for, they don't realize is they're looking for Jesus, but they're trying to find Jesus in things that aren't Jesus. And they're trying to gain ultimate meaning and purpose in that. But now if you get your ultimate meaning and purpose in something other than Jesus, let's say like your career, let's say your identity is wrapped up in your career. What happens when you get fired? What happens when the company falls apart? Your identity is crushed. You're hopeless. You had despair. But if your identity is in him, in Christ then nothing, nothing can destroy that and take that away because it's an eternally based identity full of meaning and eternal life. Now, becoming a saint does not mean, becoming a saint does not mean that now you move to a monastery and you get the tonsure shaved and you begin to just pray 24 hours a day or seven times a day or whatever. That's not what it means to be a saint. Actually, living into the purpose that God has for you in Christ means that he takes your vocation or your career or whatever it is that you do that God has given you passion for and he takes it and he sanctifies it. That's like saying he sanctifies it. He makes it, he takes a, he takes a vocation or a career and when you become a saint, it becomes a destiny. It becomes a destiny. Kanye West, who's been reading about him in the news? Yeah, a few of you. Kanye West, well-known rapper, was a secular rapper, talked lots of, uh, plenty of, uh, sailor language in all of his albums, lots of talking about all kinds of things that the Bible condemns, and he's given his life to Jesus Christ in recent days. And here's what he said. He doesn't say, now I'm gonna go be a monk and pray. He said this, from now on, all I wanna do is serve Christ. I want every song that I sing to have every part of, to have part of my testimony to include the gospel and to con- include the element of worship to our great God. That's what I want to do. He's a saint. Now that beautiful gift on his life for, for, uh, for, for, uh, for rapping, for hip hop music, for po- beautiful spoken poetry put to music is now taken up into the purposes of God for him and used for God's glory. That's awesome. And his new album is good. It's called Jesus is King. That's awesome. Now, moving on in this passage. The Lord told me this morning in prayer to not get too stuck to my notes, so I'm trying to obey him. He said, focus on the word. (sighs) Okay. So if it gets bad, you just need to go like this. Land the plane. Land the plane. Verse 12 after verse 11 says, so that we've been predestined according to his purposes, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Friends, the purpose, uh, the purpose of the life of a saint is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. The purpose of doing everything in this life, the life of a saint is to glorify God. Paul says, whatever you do, whether it's eating or drinking or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. You see, that, that we don't just glorify God when we come to church and sing songs on Sunday. 
We glorify God when we eat good barbecue. We give thanks to God. We glorify him when we eat four rivers. Okay. We give glory to God when we hear a beautiful new rap album that is given to his glory. We give glory to God when we spend a beautiful time with our children. We give glory to God for our vocation, our jobs, our careers. We give glory to God in everything throughout every day. That's what brings meaning and purpose to the human heart because it's we were created. The saints were are, are called to be the saints to worship him and glorify him with all that we are and all that God has given to us. And too often we separate the sacred and the secular. And so we feel like, well, I can't I can't really glorify God when I go to work at the bank or when I go to work at the office because I'm just, you know, it's business. No, you can. You can do it all unto the glory of God. There's so many ways. Now, he says this. This is very important in verse 13. In him, in Christ, there it is again, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, that is the proclamation of the gospel, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. So, you see, we're saints on the road. There's a possession, there's an inheritance that we haven't fully inherited yet. But the Holy Spirit is the seal on us that is the evidence that there is a great inheritance awaiting for us. I want to to camp out on this just for a minute. Uh, Scripture does not tell us that the evidence that we're going to be in heaven or be with God for all eternity is the amount of good works that we do in our life. Now, that should be a fruit of our relationship with God. But what scripture tells us is that the evidence of someone who knows Jesus Christ is the work of his Holy Spirit in our lives. That's actually creating transformation. There are people who go to church all their life and they do not allow the Holy Spirit in to transform them. Okay, but that is the evidence, Paul says. That's the mark. That's the seal. Now, that word seal you, you think about this. This is what it means. The image of is of the king who had a ring with a seal on it. And when his important messages were sent to other nations or whatever with through the messenger, they put the wax from the candle on the letter and he sealed it with his ring. God has sealed you as his own. Because you are in Christ. Because he has shed his blood for your sins and you have received that salvation in faith. You see, it's all about Jesus. It's about our union with Jesus. That is what makes us saints. He says that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. And then he says it again, to the praise of his glory. And he says earlier in this chapter that God has done all this according to his good pleasure. Do you know that it gave God pleasure when you gave your life to Jesus? It gave God pleasure to send his son to die on our behalf. It gives God pleasure when people come and join the saints and become followers of Jesus. God sings, he delights. There's rejoicing in heaven and it's all to the praise of his glory. Now, what are the privileges? What are the privileges of a saint? Let's just talk about that for a few minutes. The first privilege of a saint is that you have peace with God. You have peace with God. There's no way to be reconciled to our Father in heaven but by the shed blood of Christ, right? We talk about this just about every week and it bears repeating. It needs mentioning all the time. 
We are sinners by nature, and our sin nature causes us to walk in behavior that is an offense against God's holy and perfect character. But rather than leave us to wander off into the darkness to live lives of self-destruction and hurting other people, he has interjected, he has put his own son onto the face of the earth to take that sin away and to destroy the work of the devil in our lives and to create us, recreate us as new creations who stand before him as holy and blameless in his love. And Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, he says, Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God, right? Which, by the way, should be manifesting itself in your everyday life. Do you have peace? Do you have peace not only when you're on vacation and life is good, like I'm going to be for the next week hanging out with Mickey Mouse, but when the burden of life feels overwhelming, is there an inner peace that keeps you afloat because you belong to Christ, because you have peace with God? You see, underneath so much of the anxiety and that we see in the world and the, the, the recklessness that we see in the world and the grasping after stuff to try to fill us up is actually under that is an anxiety and a knowledge that is whatever you want to call it, subconscious or unconscious, that we're not reconciled with our creator. And there's a relationship that is, that's the relationship that's distorted that actually creates anxiety in the human heart that causes people to stay distracted by grasping after all the things of the world. But what's really going on is there's a God who created people. They're separated from his presence because of their sin. And he's trying to call out to them in love to bring them in back into his presence through Jesus. That's the cause of all the, all of the anxiety in the world. That is what is under, as St. Augustine said, You have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Now, Blaise Pascal was a 17th century uh, philosopher. He understood this quite well. He had a radical, fiery conversion to to Jesus in his own study one night. And uh, he said this. He's talking about the craving that is in everybody for something beyond us. And he says, what else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but that there was once in man a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace? This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find. Since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and unchanging object, in other words, by God himself. A little 17th century-ish there, but beautiful. It's that heart, that God-shaped hole in all of us that only he can fill. Now listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 6. I am the bread of life. The one who comes to me will never go hungry. And the one who believes in me will never be thirsty. He's not talking about an infinite supply of gift cards to Chick-fil-A. It'd be nice to have that. He's talking about the spiritual hungers of every human heart. And and some of us, even even today, who who follow Jesus, have actually kind of grown a little bit distant from him. And we started to replace uh, the hunger that's in our soul for him. We started to try to fill it with other things. Career, relationship, family stuff, uh, worldly pleasures, food, alcohol, those sort of things. But it won't work, you see. It's like trying to jam a puzzle piece in that doesn't fit because only Jesus fits there. 
No. The first uh, privilege of a saint is peace with God. The second is access to God. Do you realize, believer, that you have full access to God's throne room? Now, if you read about God's throne room in Revelation, it's beautiful, but it's also a little bit scary. There's like this river of beautiful fire flowing out of it. There's like rainbow in the, the sky. There's like onyx and, and jasper and emerald and all these things. And there are all these creatures calling out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And God says, you, because you're in Christ, can come into my royal courts anytime you want because I welcome you. Listen to what Hebrews chapter 4 says. It says, because the reason we have access to his throne room is because of what Jesus has done for us, because he's acted as a high priest on our behalf. Not because he made a sacrifice on an earthly altar, but because he sacrificed himself on the cross. He is both priest and victim. And it says this, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession of faith. He's talking to persecuted Christians who are growing weak in their faith because of the persecution. He says, stay strong for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. You see, some of us don't realize that Jesus can sympathize with our weaknesses in our moments of weakness. Jesus is there. He can sympathize. He was fully human. He experienced emotional and physical and spiritual weakness. But we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now he says this, because of that, let us then with confidence, say confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Some of us, bad situation causes us to run away from God or, or to other things. God says, why aren't you coming? I want to pour out grace and mercy. I want to help. He, he wants to help. I read this quote um, the other day. It's beautiful by the old preacher, uh, Charles Spurgeon. He said this, come boldly, believer, for despite the whisperings of Satan and the doubting of your own heart, you are greatly loved. See, we have to realize who we are in Christ. It's his merit and his perfection and his beauty that God sees in us and welcomes us into his inner courts because we are united with his son. The third thing, privileges of a saint, is this, it's hope. It's that we have hope. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, hope does not disappoint because God's love has been poured in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Again, there's a connection about the activity of the Holy Spirit making God's love real to us and actually giving us a, a grounding in hope, hope of eternal life with Him. The Bible never says, by the way, that God won't give you more than you can handle. <laughs> but it says God will be with you in everything that comes your way in life. I saw a great meme today. You know what a meme is? Those little internet cartoons with funny quotes on them. And it was an old painting of the early Christians in the gladiator's den with the lions attacking them. And the meme said, God loves you and has a plan for your life. It, it, it's funny, but it's, it's true. It's that sometimes in, it's in great suffering that hope is built the most because we have nothing but him and the eternal life that he's given us. You see... Christianity, becoming a Christian doesn't mean life is going to uh, become great and full of prosperity and riches and everything like that. God does provide his blessings, yes, but sometimes it actually means great suffering. But we have hope because Jesus has died 
for our sins that we could have eternal life. So having been forgiven and declared righteous by the creator of the universe, we no longer fear hell or condemnation at the judgment seat, but we look forward to everlasting life in the presence of God in his new heavens and his new earth. It says the saints will reign with Christ. You will reign with Christ over his new world, over his new creation, when he restores everything to how he originally intended it to be. That's an amazing thought. We don't realize the identity that we have that we are grounded in. Now, I want to say something about uh, the process. We're talking about being saints on the road. And um, sometimes you just feel like you're not a saint. And the process of life, of walking through this life for the 70 or so years that we're given on average can feel like one of just constant failure, constant weakness, one one scenario after another that is challenging us. But what we don't realize is that God is actually building relationship with us through the process. It's, it's so easy to overlook process and to only look at the goal of, man, I just, so many people say, I'm just ready for it all to be done. I just want to fly away by and by. No, God is building his relationship with you through the process of life, through the weaknesses, through the failures, the difficulties, the trials and tribulations, the sickness, the disease, loss of loved ones. There's a process going on. And God is actually strengthening you and strengthening your character and giving you endurance and hope. Hope. Daniel uh, 7, in one of Daniel's many dreams, he was a dreamer. And uh, he saw this, he had these prophetic dreams about uh, these beasts rising out of the ocean, which actually represented four different nations that would dominate Israel. But it said at the end of it that the saints of the Most High will reign in the kingdom. They will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever and ever. Now, the process is important, but we also don't want to lose sight of the forever and ever, of the afterlife, of the new life in Christ. It's important to have both of those. But we will reign with him in his kingdom. You see, Scripture talks about Jesus returning to the earth. It's hard to wrap your mind around this. But Jesus will return to the earth. He will judge the living and the dead. That's where we, the Matthew 5, the separation of the sheep and the goats. And he will reestablish and recreate all things new. He will make all things new. And there will be no more suffering, no more pain, no more tears, no more death and dying. And we will actually be a part of reigning over that new creation as we live in the full glory of God. If that, ha- if that happened to us right now, we would die. <laughs> we have to be glorified first in our resurrected body before we can bear the glory and splendor of God's beauty. 1 John chapter 3 says this, Dear friends, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that whenever it is revealed, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. Oh, the glorious day when you stand face to face with the Lord, with his scarred hands and feet, and he embraces you fully and you're made like him. That's the purpose of life is to be made more and more like him. For those who are in him, truly in him, and the work of the Holy Spirit has been sealed and stamped on us and his spirit is in us, transforming us. It is inevitable that there will be a transformation process 
of gaining victory over sin, of drawing closer and closer to Christ. If you're not drawing, actively drawing closer and closer to Christ, you're at a standstill and you're not allowing the Holy Spirit to do the work that he wants to do. And some of us need to go into our prayer closet with repentance about that because we're not drawing close to him. He gave everything to have you close. Remember, it is about union with him. It's about union with him. I'm almost done. I'm going to land here. Just using a couple notes. Sorry, Father. Now, don't get me wrong. The Christian life involves great effort. It does. It takes effort. It takes moral and spiritual effort to be the sort of person that God calls you to live, to, to be called by the holy God of heaven and earth to live a holy life is a big deal. And we had better take it seriously because a lot of the church in our day and age is not. And it's why so many people are falling away from God is because they don't take holiness seriously. But to be a saint means to be a holy one. Does your life stand out? Does it stand apart visibly from the way that the people that you know in your community do not know Jesus? Does it stand apart? Does he shine like a light through you? Or do you, when you get with your friends, use all kinds of language that you would never think about if you saw Jesus face to face? Or do you engage in activities in the privacy of your bedroom that you would never, ever think about touching if you were in the presence of Jesus? Guess what, friends? He's omnipresent. We read read in the prayer at the beginning of the service, as we always do, from whom no secrets are hid. And there are some of us that there's a deep work of repentance that needs to happen in us. But you know what? The Bible tells us it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance, to turn from that way, and to turn towards him. It's an act of his kindness that he draws us closer in that way. So don't think about repentance and the need to it. Oh, I can't do it. No, it's God not condemning you. It's quite the opposite. He's trying to save you from being wayward from him. And it's an invitation that he's making today to some people. I know that. I know that there are some of you who are, who are wrestling and knowing that you need to be close to him. The thing about it is this. It involves great effort, but it doesn't involve effort apart from abiding in him. And it's his life in us that makes us righteous in God's eyes and actually affects the work of transformation to be righteous in this life. It's only by him. Now, let me remind you of these words, and this is what we're going to close with today. John chapter 15. Because if you're not abiding in Christ, the transformation cannot happen. You'll be stagnant or you'll be moving in the opposite direction. Jesus said this to his disciples because he knew he was getting ready to die and go away from them. And now they were going to have to live their lives by faith because they didn't have his personal physical presence. And he said to them, remain in me and I will remain in you. Do you know how that happens? How that's possible? Jesus, you're up, you're with the father in the heavenly realms. How can I remain in you? Because his spirit lives in you. Remain in me and you can cultivate that the work of his spirit in your life. Remain in you and I will remain in me just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. There's no work of transformation apart from actually abiding in him. You can try to like get a checklist of good deeds and say, I'm going to do this, this, and this. I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to uh, try to do this, this, and this more and be better about church attendance and all that. But if you're doing it apart from him, there's no real fruit happening. You can't. Now, how, how many of you have citrus trees in your backyard? Come on, there's more of you than that. Yeah, there you go. Have you ever snipped off a, a branch and would sit on the ground for a few days and it began to bear fruit? Orange just popped up. Has that ever happened? No. It's the same with us, friends. 
we're called to be grafted in to his life, his eternal life, and to abide in him. And if there's anything that you hear today, hear this. To be a saint and to live the life of a saint is to abide in Jesus, to stay close to Jesus. There's just, there's just no other way. And, and there's a sacrifice that has to be made and sometimes costly sacrifice. Like I have to start like putting away this sitcom that I watch religiously every single night, like once a week at least to be with Jesus. I have to consecrate myself to him because if it's not costly, there's just going to be a lack of growth in your life. You'll be stagnant. Church will become less appealing. You'll just be like, well, I'm getting busy. I'm getting wrapped up in the world. I just, I, you know, I'll go on Christmas and I'll go on Easter. And the next thing you know, you have no life of faith. You don't even, you feel weird calling on the Lord because it's like you've grown so distant to him. If that's you, if that's happened to you, the Lord loves you. And he's calling you back and saying, call on my name. Let's hit the reset button because I love you because he's a God of grace. He's infinitely patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance to a knowledge of the truth. He's infinitely patient. God is calling out to every person, whether it's a person who's never known him or it's a person who's in this room maybe who's known him or had known him for uh, many years. He's calling out to each and every one of us from the cross of Jesus Christ saying, I love you. I love you. I love you. I want you to be a saint. I want you to be one of my holy ones.